Today we're going to delve into this concept of seichel and midot, intellect and emotions. There are many different schools of thought when it comes to the intellect and emotions. There are some schools of thought that believe that our emotions have a brain of their own, like there's a brain in the heart. Kabbalah, Kabbalistic tradition does not believe there's a brain in the heart. The heart is completely emotional. It's the seat of the emotions. Emotions don't think. Emotions don't process intellectually. Emotions feel and they're instinctive. You can't explain emotions. If you have a particular feeling, you can try to explain various elements of those feelings, but you can't truly explain how your emotions feel. People who go through years of therapy to try to figure out how their emotions feel. What is... What is midot? What are emotions? What do we need them for? What is seichel? What is the intellect? What do we need it for? Now, we spoke about this before, but I want to clarify it a little further. In the overall idea of seichel, of intellect, there is going to be midot shebe seichel and seichel shebe midot, which means... There's going to be intellect within emotions, and there's going to be emotions within intellect. King David, he writes in Tehillim, in Psalms, Kirvat Elokim Litov. The nearness of God is good to me. Now, when he says that, there are three elements to that. Number one, there is God, which is completely abstract. There's number two, there's Kirvat Elokim, which is his closeness to God, which means that within his intelligence, within the intelligence of King David or the intelligence of the individual, he, King David, feels a closeness, but it's still removed from his practical life. So he feels, I'm close, Kirvat Elikim, I'm close to God, but there's God that's completely abstract. And it's me, the physical being, trying to find closeness to this abstract idea. And then there's litov. There's it's good to me. What does that mean? It's good to me? That there's something I can feel and I can desire towards it. So just let's put it in other terms. When you experience something, you can react in three ways. You can respond with, you know, all I see here is godliness. All I see here is intelligence. This is called total abstraction. There are people who their response to everything in life is, thank God. God has a master plan. Kirvat Elohim, you talk just a second. Yeah. King David is not saying that he feels close to God. No. He's not saying that. No. He's, he's just saying, I have a closeness to God. That's right. And that is good to me. That's right. 
It's very different. That's right. There, there is so there, no, element so, so there's three elements. There's God, which is the abstract. The abstract. The there's, closeness. There's the closeness, which is, to me. which is which is his into intellect trying to get close to God. Yeah. And then it's good to me, which is his emotions trying to make oh, sense right. of all that closeness. If anything, it's the litov that might imply some emotion. The litov is emotion, completely right. emotion. So, someone who says, thank God, it's all, everything, God has a plan, don't worry. There are people who like it, beautiful people. Usually, they're females. I'm not saying it generally, but it's true. That there's a lot of, you know, you we're... You can't we're, generalize like that. It's very, not with the times. I know, but I'm... <laughs> I know, Even but I'm... A, positive. You I'm can't a, say positive. I'm allowed, to, I'm allowed to do it in, the, in this context, in this room, because people we in this room like it. can't generalize with good things. That's also considered bad, for some reason. So, right, so... In the, in the, in the, for the purpose of our conversation, it's totally abstract. It's totally removed from the real world of emotions. Now, the second reaction is more of an intermediary step, where you say, God is not only an intellectual concept that excludes feelings and emotions, but I can recognize such a thing as closeness to God. This is called midot shebesecho, the emotions within the mind, which means the mind by nature is not able to truly comprehend the idea of closeness because closeness is going to infer an emotion. But based on the abstract, the mind has the ability to move forward to say, hold on a second, what, what's going on here? What's happening? I can recognize that there's such a thing as being close to God. And there's such a thing as being further away from God. It's just because the sechel and the middle, they're just like, they're not in two different boxes. Like they, the reality of thing is that they mix and match. So that's middle shiva sechel. Like it's mostly sechel, but... Reality of it is that you can know a bit of middles. That's what it is. That's it's essentially in a very superficial, very basic form. Mm-hmm. We're, we're going to get deeper into it. Now, the mind is going to recognize beyond the intellectual, which means there's nothing intellectual about closeness to God, essentially, if you look at it from that perspective, right? Kiruva Lokim, the idea that there's a God and that I can become close to that God, it's not intellectual. I mean, all the great philosophers of the world are going to debate you on that. So for the mind to transcend its own limitations, it must make some room for emotion. Right. That's right. But emotion, not the way we look at emotion. Not the way we look at emotion. Emotion in, in, a, in an intellectual way. In an intellectual way because it's closest to God. So That's right. It's not an emotion. What's the difference between an emotion in a more emotional way and an emotion more intellectual way? You're going to find emotion in an intellectual way is going to be more about a higher power or something beyond us. Which means if it's instinctive, it's going to be about survival. If it's instinctive, it's going to be about eating and sleeping and, and, and living up in this world and having a good time and making sure everything is good. Because essentially that's what the animalistic nature of the person wants. 
If it's intellectual, it's about others, it's about a higher power, it's about fulfilling my purpose in this world, it's about moving forward and becoming a, a better person. That idea, that drive to become better or to have a goal it does not, it's not something that's instinctive. That is Seichel Sheba Midot. Sorry, Midot Sheba Seichel. That is the emotions within the mind. It's a higher emotion. Let's that's right. A higher emotion, lower emotion, roughly. If roughly you want, speaking. good way of explaining okay. it. The mind recognizes that beyond the intellectual, there's such a thing as closeness. There's, there's fear, there's anger, there's love. But the mind doesn't say, I fear or I love. It doesn't say, I want to be close. Focus on the I, on the ich, as we say it. Focus on the I. Because there isn't an actual emotion felt in the heart. All there exists at this level is the notion and idea of love or fear because since the intellect is operative, it absorbs the notion not allowing it to express itself in the heart. Which means if you're using the intellect to drive your, your drive in this world, it's not going to allow the emotions to take over because the emotions are unruling. The emotions can fly away and the emotions can get carried away and the intellect saying, hold on. Let's become cool and collective here. Let's figure it all out. Let's try to understand how this works. This is what Kabbalah would mean by having an overpowering intellectual experience. We can have an overpowering intellectual experience. At this point in our study, that is what we're striving to have. An overpowering emotional? No, in, intellectual, in, in, intellectual experience. Overpowering intellectual experience. Moach shalet al-halev. That the mind will dominate the heart. That, in our study, is one of the basic ideas in human development and behavioral development. Is that what we want is not that the heart should be suppressed, but the mind should dominate the heart where it controls its motives, so, and uses the heart as the passion, the drive. Think about the, the excitement and the passion and the drive that we're using just for this class right now, and, and, and the feelings that we have, but it's the mind that's driving those feelings. And that's what Kabbalah wants us, essentially, to be connected to, is that our mind should drive our emotions. We'll be back after a quick break. Are you tired of swiping right on every dating app out there and still getting nowhere? Are you convinced that you'll forever be alone, surrounded by nothing but uh, cats and empty takeout containers? <laughs> Hi, I'm Aliza Ben Shalom, the host of the new show, Jewish Matchmaking, which you can find on Netflix. And I'm the love rabbi, Rabbi Yisrael Bernath, and we're inviting you to join us for Matchmaker Matchmaker. Each week, we'll answer one of your pressing relationship questions, from how to get over your ex to how to deal with your partner's annoying habits. So if you're ready to laugh, uh, cry, or maybe even find love, then tune in to Matchmaker Matchmaker, and it's available now wherever you listen to your podcasts.
What'd you say? No, so so it's 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 you know, when you say the, the, the mind dominates the heart, let's let's the extreme version of that are the people who they can't live spontaneously, they have a hard time, they're always trying to make something correspond to you look at for example, I would I would put a lot of atheistic people in that category nowadays. It's like they don't know what they believe in that. Everything's gotta to correspond to something that they believe in, otherwise they can't relate emotionally. They can't so that would be like the mind dominating the heart too much, right? Dominating. Maybe another way no, we I would say, say that would be, would be the mind no. suppressing the heart. That would be the mind suppressing the heart. But we don't want the mind to suppress the heart. We right. love the heart. That's we right. need the heart. Yeah. The heart is our passion, our desire, our emotions. We need those emotions. But what we want the mind to do is to be in control of them. Yeah. So that they don't... When someone says, I'm out of control. What do you mean you're out of control? <laughs> you have a mind. Use it. Yeah. I couldn't control myself. I just couldn't. I mean, just in a very superficial way. You know, the cake was there and I just, it, I looked at it and then I was like, ah, the diet. And I was going back and forth about the calories. Oh, yeah, and, the rationalism. And I was going. But that's not even. By the way, by the way, rationalization before food is not midot shabaseicho. It's not even seicho shabamido. Rationalization before it, food is stupidity. It, it seems to me, Rabbi, that in order to do this, and it's something we all recognize in our lives, right? Like we try, we know certain things are good for us, so we're trying to do it in real life. And sometimes we fail, sometimes we do it, sometimes we do it for a while, and then staying consistent at a certain level is very difficult. But the ultimate order, diet issue. Yeah, the diet issue, right? So I, that, that was my, so I went on an amazing diet for a few months, and then as soon as I, I saw, like I was getting good results and everything, I was like, oh, I started slacking. You start slacking off so fast, and my mind didn't even let me see that I was slacking off. It was just, it was very good at concealing it for me. My mind hid it for me. He was like, no, it's fine, it's okay. I'm still not eating meat, so okay, so I got pizza and pasta. You know, it's like- The opposite is when the, when the emotions are in control, the emotions are gonna use the mind to rationalize its desires. Right. Let, let me say, in order to do this, it seems to me that we need something more than just the mind or the heart. We need, we need will, we need a willpower. Let's not get there right now. Now we're just... You understand what I'm saying? It's like... Yeah, absolutely, you need... The mind has to have, like... A, there has to be almost like a desire to do it. That's More very that. powerful. There needs the mind's desire or willpower from above. Which means, why are you doing what you're doing? And that's basically what Kabbalah is going to get into. But why? Almost like a two-year-old asks. But why? Why, why, why? But uh, the two-year-old within us is asking that question. Why am I going on this diet? Mm. Why? Because I want to look better? That's not strong enough. Not strong enough. Because I want to be healthier? May not even be strong enough. Healthier for what purpose? What am I going to do? Because I'm going to have more energy being healthy, what am I going to do with that energy? So you're going to go on the diet because the diet is just the means to the, to the other means to the ends. The diet is just the modality to the means to the ends. It's the how of a bigger why. It's the how of the why, which is the why of the purpose. Mm -hmm. yeah. So if you use money as the ends, or you use the diet as the ends, you defeated the whole purpose. The purpose of the money is to get to the how, which is the why, which, which, which gets to the why. Yeah, and those things are not powerful enough as whys. They're never, well, they're not, they're not sustainable enough, for no, sure not. No. Money, I think, is the extreme example, because money probably because of its usage and because of its instant gratification where people are receiving it and thinking they're getting, they're gonna have something as a result of it. Well, money has a lot of, a lot of triggers. It's, 
social status. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's security. Uh, security for your family, for your children, for, for your grandchildren. Right. Your grandchildren. Which is why maybe even your parents. Maybe you're taking care of your parents. Which is why I'm using it. But but so it's probably of all of those ideas, it's probably the strongest as far as long lasting. Mm-hmm. But still. What happens as a result of it? People uh, can do it. Don't underestimate vanity. People can sustain it. <laughs> vanity is People can sustain it. But then it's meaningless. It's meaningless. Look at all these oh, celebrities man. who have anything and they want, or these, well, these, these, these business people who have anything they want and they have nothing. They're depressed. Yeah. They're depressed. They're, they, they have no relationships. They have, no, they have nothing that's, that's real. And what we want is not a superficial life. We want a life that's meaningful and real and powerful. And, and powerful not in a way of status, but powerful in a way of, of purpose in this world. Mm-hmm. So, then there's a third reaction. The third reaction is, the closeness of God is good for me. Litov. That is an actual emotional trait. An actual emotion that's felt in the heart connecting directly by saying, I want. I want. I, capital I, the only letter in the English language that's always capitalized, is the I. Sometimes, when I want to read a book, I just open up the random page and I look at how many I's there are, and if there's too many I's, I forget about it. It just means the author was too haughty. Haughty people write a lot of eyes. Uh, I'm trying to think of other languages. Oh yeah. That that would that that would category would fall into, but it... could you compare like these three things to like Tanya says like he fills all worlds like, and passes all worlds and next to him everything is not. I'm not sure what reference, but yeah. Like the cynical element. Like... Yeah, but, I mean that's. Well, we'll get to that, but but. The, the idea of saying, I want, which is, means that there's movement from the world of, 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 or the state of pure intellect into something which is totally removed from the world of emotions and from the state of understanding. That's important to have an actual feeling. So what you're saying is a soul of Kalamim or the Mamali Kalamim, it's more of superficial. What we want to do is we want to move from the superficial, from the abstract, and into the intellect, and then into the emotions. It's become, what ends up happening is a very real, down-to-earth feeling in the heart that motivates the person to act with feeling and emotion. So the mind dominating the heart is not just the mind dominating the heart. It's the mind almost... Using moving into, the moving into the heart, but it's the mind moving into the heart, remaining the mind, remaining in control, and being able to use the emotions to 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 its to its final purpose. So there is there's the, the emotion that's in the mind. There's like when when the intellectual gets 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 a glimpse of that 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 emotion, right? And then there's the when you're in the emotion, the, the little bit of mind that's there is still kind of controlling things, but you're in the emotion. That's right. So it's like, like those modalities. That's right. Are those related to the uh, the intellectual sephiroid versus the? Uh, the we're gonna uh, we're gonna get to that. We're just it, it, this it, is th- does it correspond to the scheme roughly? This is the, this is this is this is the prequel here. Okay. okay. Uh, I just want to know. Is it- a lot of see, very similar to Star Wars. A lot of people end up 
in four, five, and six, and then they and then they, they miss one, two, and three because they come later. So we're doing one, two, and three, and then four, five, and six. That's good. That's good. My generation, we saw saw number four. Four was number one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, actually, my we saw the original one. Yeah. But four was number one for a long time until yeah, everyone realized that's right. That's right. That there's a oh, people. Yeah, so, yeah. so, so this is what it is. You, it's, if, Luke Skywalker was actually number four. Exactly. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. We went there's straight no, to the force. There would be no shock of Luke, I am your father. That's it. That's if it. you would have seen one, two, and three. That's so true. what we're doing is we're taking away the shock. Uh, the shock value. So that, of course, you see where we're headed. We're, 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 we're getting... <laughs> We're getting into what's going to become the sefirot, the intellectual sefirot and the emotional sefirot. We're getting into all of that, but we're but before we're, that. You're, before you're, that, we're we're setting the framework. The key, yeah, exactly, the we're setting key. the framework for that. Yeah, I see it. We're doing it a very different way than perhaps yeah. it's generally done. Yes, yes. You just jump right into the sefirot. Yeah, and let's learn all the sefirot. Yeah, but it's all it's it's much more why because it's much more interesting. This is this is much more this is this is hard stuff. This is this is, this is really hard. It's much more tricky. Look, think about it. If you would watch, you know, today that one, two, three, four, five, six exists, mm-hmm. would you say to a kid to watch one first? No, you still start from four. Mm-hmm. It's true. I don't know about that. Well, the first one was bad. Yeah, not yeah, but not counting <laughs> that one, two, and three are bad. Like well, they would three, be amazing. Three was pretty good. The one where uh, Anakin like kills everyone. That, that was it. Or was that? By the way, I refuse to watch new ones. By the way, there is so there is so much Kabbalah in that stuff. I know so much Kabbalah in that. But Rabbi, I watch I, it. The more no, the more I do. Tell me the truth. Do I have to watch it? How much do I know about it? Okay. I've never watched it. Yeah. So. That's true. That's true. Rabbi, the more I uh, we I study with you and, and study Talmud, when I'm, and I know Hollywood is all Jews. I, I know you know like. And I'm watching things, and you know, every once in a while, they throw something in, yeah. and if you are not Jewish, you will not get it. Yeah, go right over it. Well, for example, Marvel. I mean, Stan Lee is Jewish, but the entire Marvel universe, there's exceptions. There's like the Thor thing. It's like Norse mythology, yeah. but the, the X Men, for yeah. example, is yeah. a, a thousand percent Jewish. It, yeah. for, and first of all, Magneto is. Yeah actually a Holocaust survivor. Yeah. And he's got a tattoo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, never again. You know? (laughs) (laughs) And he turns psychopathic about it. But you know? But the whole idea of the mutants is that we have something that people are persecuting us for, but it's actually a gift. And if you learn to harness that gift, we can become amazing. And and then some people, it's so funny, like the psychology of that, it, it totally applies to the Jewish community today. Some Jews believe that we can live in harmony with the world. And some Jews don't believe it. Some Jews believe it's a war. It's us against them. We've got to survive. We don't care. It's true. And, and, and ultimately, there is no bad guy because sometimes the world shows that the people who thought that, that the, peace was not possible in World War II, they were right. And in the end of X-Men, the X-Men universe, you know, you know how the story ends. Want, and then they say there's, there's multiple, multiple futures, so they can always have an out. But in the official future that they picked for the major motion pictures, when they did Days of Future Past, in the end, so Charles Xavier is the good guy, when you grow up, right? Charles Xavier is a good guy. Magneto is the bad guy, right? But it turns out when you actually read the comics and you get into it, they play a little bit of that. But in reality, they're very good friends. Mm-hmm. And they simply have two different, separate theories about the relationship between mutants and human beings. They have different theories. Charles Xavier believes that peace is possible. And Magneto says... That's over. He, no, he says, he says, 
peace was never an option because to him it's like it's like his family was killed because they were different right and so in the end days of future past it turns out magneto was right and charles xavier admits to him so you're right in the end they, they just wanted to kill us because we're different and, and they were scared of us they ended up they creating, scared of our power. they created the super robots and they killed all the mutants like magneto is correct in the end so he's not the bad guy in a way course he's got his moments where he like murders 3,000 people like of course he's a bad guy it's a comic book at the end of the day you know he's got his moments where it's like no no like we need to dominate them like if we don't if we're not their masters they will always resent us and find a way to murder us so it was, did you ever read that robot x-men it's no. all Jewish ever, yeah, but so. I know and even you know Charles with that thing where yeah. he yeah, yeah, yeah. where he connects to the thing connects to all this that I've so relieved that to God or the comics you know connecting with us it's a way that you connect with like the consciousness of everybody else yeah interesting I'm it's so true. Sick. cerebro cerebro yeah. Yeah. that comics every time I've, I've seen that yeah I've thought I, I was you read uh, so, or even it's a comic you read that yeah are so the survivor, with their, yeah. with their, their people. They're people, that's right. Yeah. They connected their minds. But when I was young, I, 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 I have like boxes like this of comic books. I was like, Cute. all my, I would take like my 10 bucks a, a, a week or whatever that my grandmother would give me, and I would just go. To are the they worth anything now? Some book. of them are worth money, no? Probably, I don't, I don't know. I would never sell them. My emotional, <laughs> thing, I, I'm trying to give them to my son, but my son just wants to watch Netflix, you know? But it's like, I would take all my money and I would go buy comic books. I used all my money on comic books. I had all the comic books, me and a friend, a close friend of mine who's also a lawyer. But have now. you seen the movie version? I see all the movies. Okay. Yeah, of course, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Marvel, like, super nerd. Like, I know everything, all the storylines, all the different characters, all the different. And I think it's interesting because it, it provides mythology to a society that has gotten rid of mythology, oh. right? Western society doesn't believe in anything, right? It's starting to not even believe in democracy. Go figure that. It's starting definitely not to believe in free speech. For sure. You look at the political correctness and so forth. It's starting not to believe in its own constitutive values that created it. Some people that's say you that know it's a the secret of the, of the soldiers of World War II, the reason why they were so great is they all had little comic books in their pocket, in their mm -hmm. back pocket, mm -hmm. as they were fighting. They all had that kind of... And everybody needs to know what to believe in, and I find the Marvel universe—it's it, really good at that, you know. And, and some, a lot of things in pop culture do that, like some great movie, some great music. Some they, they occupy a little bit of that lost mythological space, you know, at least. And I think the Marvel universe is one of the best at, at, at doing that. Mm. You know? Stanley, I mean, it's all again another Ashley interview. Yeah. World War Two. Yeah. Comic books. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. And, and George Lucas, you know, was a, was a student of Joseph Campbell. Who's oh, the great uh, comparative? Yeah. Oh, no, I mean, you know, read up on George Lucas says that all he was trying to do in Star Wars was like give a visual depiction of the hero's journey, right? Which is so Joseph Campbell is this comparative yeah. mythologist, right? Who has a very complicated relationship with the, what he calls Judeo Christian thought, lumps it together, uh, discards it completely. Right, mm -hmm. and he really looks into like Native American myths and uh, and Eastern myths. He's really into that. So he's a comparative mythologist who, for some reason, the mythological system that he comes from, he he, he really says like because his whole thing is like that's not the only one that exists. There's all these other great ones, and so what he does is he tries to uh, like right. He compares them and he says what are the underlying similarities between all the different and it's the thing of the, of the hero's journey, right? And so, and he gives like this whole like it's it's kind of like a meta analysis of mythologies of from different of different myths, and George Lucas, 
was a reader of Joseph Campbell. And that's what he said. Like everything and he, he did. That's how he created Star Wars. That's how he created Star Wars. Yeah. yeah. Completely uh, uh, public, like admitted and everything. Yeah. So, I mean, it wasn't. That it doesn't come from nowhere, all this stuff. It doesn't come sure. from nowhere. It's, it's uh, definitely. Uh, everything has, has a source. So, let's go back into uh, the text here. So, what are the three approaches? Let's, let's review this. There are three approaches here. The first one is? You were still in the Kirvat? Yeah. The first one is totally abstract, right? Kirvat, Elohim. Essentially, essentially, if you want to, it's Soviv. It's Soviv Koalman. It's totally abstract. But there, there's no, like, uh, it's, it, it doesn't link? Uh, what? It doesn't link? No link. Okay. The but first approach is no link. There's but totally it's Hashem. No, I mean like between those three things at the oh, time. Well, hold on, oh, hold on a second. Let's 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 this let's go. It's not interesting, Rabbi. Though. Yeah. When you look at that sentence, Kirvat Elokim Litov, the purely abstract is the second element. That's right. It's not the first one. Uh, yeah. The first one is Kirvat closeness. There's a little bit of emotion in there. There's a little bit of emotion in closeness. That is what Midot Shebaseichel is. That's Midot Shebaseichel. That is the definition of Midot Shebaseichel. Midot it's the pure abstract, and then it's the emotion. That's right. That's the progression. That's right. The litov is... You understand? Just so, emotional? So, in the first approach, to be pure seichel, pure intellect. There's nothing else but intellect. There's no emotions. There's, there's nothing... Uh, Nothing emotional in it. The second approach is when the emotion ascends to the mind, the mind is superior and the emotions are inferior. But how is the first one intellectual when you said it's abstract? If, if it's completely abstract, it has to be intellectual. It's totally intellectual. The How idea is, you, you, if you're a pure intellectual, there's nothing concrete about it. And that's, the, the Kabbalah doesn't want you to be involved that way. But there are people who are totally, totally removed from this world by being completely intellectual. But just a second, Kirvat is what element? What is the Kirvat element? The Kirvat element the is closest. the Midot Shebasecho. That's Midot Shebasecho. Yeah. So, Midot Shebasecho means it's the emotions that are in the mind. So the mind... Even more so. The emotions are going to rise to the mind and the mind is going to control them. Ah. Or, or be superior to them. Okay. Then we have Elohim, which is the pure abstract. Right. But in the pure abstract, like when, when someone says like everything, like, thank God, or everything is godliness, like how is that intellectual? It's very interesting. What, is, what, what do we know about Elohim compared to Havaya? So there's different ways of referring to God. Yudke Vavke, which we call Havaya, is from Chesed, it's from kindness, and Elohim is from Gvura, it's from severity. And King David uses Elohim, a form of severity of God, in this particular idea. It's, it's not by chance that Elohim is used and not Havaya. But we'll talk about that maybe a little later when we understand the difference between the two. So we start with Midot Shevesechad in a sense, then Elohim. Abstract concept, and then lito descends back to me, and then the lito is is, is what it's the it's the sechel sheva midot. Can we say that? It is just sechel sheva midot exactly. Interesting. Exactly. 
Because when you say tov, tov also implies there's a relationship still with the conceptual realm. You're seeing exactly, you're but it's not. But, but, it's, but not it's not controlling it. It's not controlling. It's it's, well, it's the, experiencing it. Not the the midot is controlling the, the the intellectual realm. It's the emotions controlling the intellectual realm. Like someone who has like a perfect imuna and who's always like everything is a sham. Everything is a sham. Like how's that intellectual? Like they say it's everything is God. Mm-hmm. Like they're at the complete abstract. What's Actually, in that statement, you can actually see that there's both emotional, there's both emotion and intellect. Someone who says that is not necessarily only completely emotional, intellectual, like... Yeah, someone who says everything is God, it's because they feel either connected, or they feel protected, or they feel... So that's not intellectual only. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's emotional. But if you, if you, when you think about the concept of God, just the concept of God. You understand that it, it has to be intellectual. Understanding all the relationship with God is emotional. Well, you can but skip all of that. Of God you can skip all that. And, it, and it, could be, it could be, it could become where you skip all of that and you go right to, I believe, I believe, I believe, and that's the end of it. And you don't ever, I think essentially what your, your confusion here is where you just there are people who are just I believe and don't yeah. bother me about anything. But or you tell them something bad, they're like Baruch Hashem. Yeah, so that's a different. It's a different, different idea. Different idea. Okay. We're we're we're, we're talking about the connection between I the think, intellect and the emotions okay. here. And even that, somebody who bless, like that every sentence that comes out of their mouth. I mean, yes, when we talk amongst ourselves, we should be we should be blessing God and we should always be in relation with God. But that, that I, I mean. I, I, I try to bring God into my conversations, but perhaps not as much as my life is in my conversations. But that's fear-based, I believe. There's a lot of fear in there. When people are, like, every sentence, there's... I know, you know, I know, but I'm talking about the really... I'm, I'm talking about... I'm not talking about general. I'm talking about, like, really specific people who do have, like, full immuna and who really... Let's, let's go through the whole concept, and maybe you're going to understand them a little better as we go through it. So... When you're talking about this idea of midot shebeseichel, where the mind is superior and the emotions are inferior, it does not lead to a result because what is primary here is intelligence. The mind recognizes the concept of closeness. Or maybe even the mind can recognize awe or, or love but it conceptualizes them without an actual emotion. Hi. Without an actual mida. How are you? Good. The mind is literally conceptualizing them without going through the actual emotion. Now, then we're going to go into the third method. The third method is when the mind descends to the emotions and gives in and acknowledges that the emotions are superior. I want it. I love it. I'm completely identified with whatever the attribute is. That's the third one. That's the third one. Can you, can you just reread that, please? The, the, the passage you just read, or did you... No, no. Did so you ad-lib that? I ad-libbed it. Oh, yeah. So, what the, 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 the idea is that when the mind... That's why I'm taking notes. This is, what, this is when the, the mind descends to the emotions. So, the other one is where the emotions ascend to the mind. This is where the mind descends to the emotion and it totally gives in and it totally acknowledges that the emotions are superior. 
So it's not where the emotions are going up to the mind. It's where the mind is going down to the emotions. Remember, I'm skipping ahead, but because we already studied this, I'm going to say that we know that, the, 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 that, that we're talking about the mind because the, the godly soul is in the, is in the mind and the animal soul is in the heart. So when we say up and down, we're actually literally saying up and down. Where the mind goes down to the heart and there, the animal a, soul a takes Bahami, over. There's a Bahami aspect to Lito. Totally. Yeah. Completely. Mm. And it says, I want it. I love it. Why do I want it? I don't know why I want it. Why do I love it? I don't know why I love it. I can't define love. I can't explain love. I can't explain my desires for whatever I'm trying to, 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 to desire. I'm completely identified with whatever the attribute is. This is actually the emotions felt in the heart. Uh, King David said this in uh, Tehi. Yeah. However, this isn't the ultimate goal and perfection of healthy emotions. Wait, sorry. How is it, how is it set from, like, if he says, it's good for me, like it's midot, like he's feeling things, how is it part of... The, 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 the emotions are using the mind to justify its desires. So as soon as we have a thought, like, basically... It's not a thought. It's a thought of justification for the desires. Why do, I want, why do I want this thing that I know good and well is very bad for me? There's even studies that come out that it's carcinogenic. The emotion is predominant. It <laughs> what do you mean? I want it. Don't talk to me about your... Don't confuse my, my desires with the facts. That's exactly... Don't, that's exactly... Don't, don't confuse my desires don't, with the facts. Don't let the truth get in the way of a good story. Exactly. Yeah, this, is good for, this is good for me. Yeah. It's it's not, not, I want it. It's not it's good for me. It's a very well, so it's good, good for me. Says. Yeah, he, so, so the, the intellect... The intellect is saying... What do you mean? It's going to make you feel good. Yeah. It's going to make you have a good day. That's totally... That's totally... It's totally the mind is being used by the heart to justify its desires. But hopefully you've done a little trip to the, to the upper realm yeah, before you go down. We're talking about... Hopefully. 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 That's not a norm. But that's not a norm. I don't get it. Like no. he says, yeah, the closest is not good for me. I've got to schedule it. It's good for me part. What's Seth all about it? He's feeling that it's good for him. No, we, we, we decompromise the idea of it's good for me. How many times have you felt that things are good for you that you know later on, 10 years later, they were not good but for I'm you? But I'm not talking about that. No, no, no. We compartmentalize David, King David's statement in order to explain this. We're using it as a metaphor. Okay. So it's good for me now. We're talking about the emotions and we're also using it. We're just using it as a metaphor. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true because when you read the Kiamat of Kim Litov No, if you, together, if you read it all together, it's, total, it's totally beautiful and just it's very the, powerful. The, yeah. Just the Litov part, it's just feelings. Yeah, just feelings. Okay. That's, the, that, that's the idea of it. So, yeah, but this is not the ideal this. way. The litov is not the ideal way. Why? Because you can justify anything in the name of anything. If you said tov li kirvat elokim, for example, you would put the emphasis, you would put the purpose of That's a great, of great example. Yeah. Me. But this is the opposite. This is kirvat elokim litov. The closest to God is good for me. This is what's important. It just happens that it's also by the you way. You understand the difference? Yeah. It's a great example. Right? If you said this, what we do as lawyers all the time. <laughs> but judge, if they had meant that, they would have said it this way. <laughs> but, right? If you said, it would, it would have been like, the whole point of God is that it's good for me. But this, when you read this, 
like in sequence, it, it clearly implies the opposite. It's like, no, no, it's the closest to God. That's, that's the real good, you know? Yeah. But you still have to relate to it as a human being. So you took, it's like, it's like, by the way, I'm a little human being down here and I'm feeling good about this, you know? Do you want to continue? Is that okay? Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Do we wait for you? But, but I have a question of the Kirvat. So the yeah. key concept here turns out to be actually the Kirvat. Because the other two concepts... The, you idea, know, the idea of closeness. You know, when you, say, when you say Elohim, okay? It's supposed to be the most transcendent concept. It's supposed to be the most abstract default. But in a sense, our minds being lazy and us being lazy, it's the easiest one to just put in a box. Right. It's abstract. I don't understand it. Sorry. It's Elohim. I'm not supposed to understand Elohim. Okay? That's right. So I just, I just, I just put it away. I, it's a placeholder for whatever. Right? And you're going to learn later that what you're saying is even more profound because Elohim, its reference is totally derogatory. Or mm. not derogatory. It's, it's negative. Mm. Interesting. Isn't it also related to the forces of nature? It's like the aspect of God that we can see. We're, we're going to talk about it later. I, I don't want to go into but, it now because... But Kirvat, we don't have that excuse. In Kirvat. Because Kirvat challenges us. No, but... Litov is the easy one. When closeness also infers a separation. Mm. If it would say that I'm one with it, why? What do we say when someone gets married? There are two halves of one soul. We don't say Kirvat about a, about a marriage. We don't say I'm now close to you. Or because we're married, I'm closer to you okay, so than I was before. So Closeness also implies a separation. It, it implies that I could also be not close. No, and also that we're two separate beings, and right now I'm going to be close to you, and it could be tomorrow I won't be close to you. That's right. But if we're really one and we're separate, it means we're two halves of a whole that are separated, which is, what, which is a beautiful way of looking at marriage, and it's the Jewish view and the Kabbalistic view of marriage. That it's two halves of a whole. Because two halves of a whole, it means ideally they're one. They, they exist as one. Closeness is not saying one. King David is definitely not saying he's one with God. That's a, that's a very complicated statement he's there. He's saying he's close. He's saying God. close. Close. Also implying that he's separated from it. Mm. In its essence. Interesting. So there's a lot in Kiravat. Kiravat is, 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 is the key concept here. Yeah. Right? I mean, you can meditate on it for... for for weeks. Because the Litov part is the easy one. Elohim is easy for another reason. That's right. But Kiavat is tough. That's right. What do you mean closeness to this abstract thing? That's what right. What do you mean? You know? Separated, but close. And also, in, in Kabbalah, you're going to find a lot. Whatever you imply, there's also an implication of what you didn't imply. The negative. The, neg- the, the, the negative implication. You'll find always, that in everything, which means the fact that you said closeness yeah. and not oneness yeah. is an implication that there's two separate beings. Absolutely. There are always more negative implications. Did we lose you all? No. We're good? We talked about that last time. Yeah, the we negative did. Implications. Yeah. When you affirm something, you're disaffirming a million things. That's right. That's what, that's, again, we're... we're yeah. We're, we're in, we're in uh, episode one, even though it'll be easier to go to episode four first. And isn't that kind of related a bit to, to me, me yesh, uh, yesh Mayan. Yesh Mayan. Yes. There's yes. nothing, there's the something. That's right. The something excludes the nothing, right? Because, because it's something, now there's nothing, but, it's also, but the nothing also includes the something. Because even though they're two separate beings, they're also, they're also connected, mm. right? The closeness can be exist with the nothingness 
and the somethingness, but they can never become one. It's interesting because I find Judaism is, is very, very, very focused on, and it's very unique to me in terms of like, it, it's very, very focused on the relationships between different concepts, okay? So I mean, in, in, again, today we, we still think in terms of like, if you, if you look at science, I always give the example, but it's like, nah, like emotion is like, it's garbage. It's like, right, emotion is useless. It's like, it's all about the mind. It's all about rationality. It's all about experiments. It's all about what you can prove. It's all about what, what is true all of the time. Right? It's only about that. It's like clearly like intellect. And then in their private life, people just like, they take exactly. off the half. Yeah, they take <laughs> off, off the hat of the official religion and they just behave spontaneously as human beings. But they're, what they've done in putting that hat on is eliminate any concept, any value system, any, the idea of any good in reality, philosophically. It challenges, it forces them to become nihilists in a sense. That's right. right? And, so the, and then it's like just their personal life, whatever. Like, I'm just going to try to make money. I'm going to try to get away with what I can get away with. Whatever. And some people still act morally, but they can't explain why. It's like, look, it's just what I learned. My parents. What, one one of the joke. most shocking things in this society is, and I see that a lot in people's relationships. I talk a lot about relationships. I've been talking about relationships for years. And people have been coming and listening to me about relationships for years. But it doesn't translate into their life. I say, but you know it. And they say, I know, I know. I don't have to come listen to you anymore, Rabbi. I know, but, but why is it not translating into your life? That's funny. And that is a it's great... It's to know. It's a great product of our society where everybody wants to know, but nobody wants to act on their knowledge. The mind where, and the heart are not, are not in relation. Where in Kabbalah, we would say that would be the worst thing in the world. If you know something, you don't act on it. Mm. That means that you have a mind and heart that are so separated... There's a you are you are completely divided. Divided. What we want to try to do is find as many ways of connection, connection, separate, kirvat, closeness, mm-hmm. but separate. So it's, it's we don't want we, we we call that person the maskil, the person who knows but doesn't do. It's interesting that it's a negative term. It's a negative term. The maskil. 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 The person who knows and doesn't do. Yeah. M a s k i l. Yeah. <laughs> you like that? No, it's in Psalms. So a masculine by David. Yeah. So, and like now I'm confused with the words. No, a song. What do you mean? Masculine when it's like. Oh, masculine. Like you're right. Masculine. Masculine. Yes. Yes. Different word. Yeah, different word. Okay. But that's interesting that you made that reference. Oh, I have to think about that. Reference. <laughs> Guess what I read? <laughs> no, no, it's a very interesting uh, reference. But it, 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 what I find very, very interesting about this approach is that, um, so we have the ability to define different concepts. We have the ability to define emotion, mind, no problem, right? We have the ability to define like selfish and altruistic. We can, we can define these things. It's very easy. What we don't have today, what we don't have is the vocabulary of how to connect those things. It's the sequences. It's the understanding the relationship between these different concepts. It's always like, which one is it? There's like, there's almost like a, this expectation that it's going to be one or the other. Are you Republican or Democrat? Are you red or blue? Red or, you can't be purple. Like, are you red or blue? It's like, this is who you are, right? It's like, are you an emotion person? Are you an intellect person? Are you a, there's a, a it's even worse. tragic dualism. It's even worse. You can't vote for a Republican president and a, and a, and a Democratic senator. Why are you doing that? Yeah. Why do you vote for a Republican? What, what, what are you doing voting for a Republican president and Democratic senator? I would say I'm politically schizophrenic. <laughs> because my, 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 my two top, my, my two favorite uh, uh, politicians in the last U.S. election were Bernie Sanders and Rand Paul. It's supposed to make no sense at all. But I'm like, yeah, like to me, it makes perfect sense. Like, you know, I think Bernie's... Because there's platforms, there's content of platforms that you just can't get behind. 
Yeah, not right. I mean, Trump to me is just a, like, he's like a... No, 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 we, you're not even talking, they're not even saying No, no, but it's hey, the whole phenomenon. If you want to keep friends, no religion, no politics. Yeah. <laughs> no, that word, that word, that specific word. That specific word, yeah. But anyways, the point is that we've lost the ability to connect these, these opposing but concepts. All, but we've lost that vocabulary. But Kabbalah's... And, and you're going to find that I'm going to use the Hebrew words because the Hebrew words, I think, are much better defined than their English counterparts. So, can we... Do I have permission to continue, or do we go on to Talmud? Talmud? Okay. Keep going. With this. We, we can, we can well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe he's, he's um, hankering for Talmud. Coin. I, I think that since um, tonight and tomorrow is Lag Omer, Lag is the day of the passing of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. And Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai <laughs> is the author of the Zohar and the one who really first wrote Kabbalah. Maybe this week, as a special gift to Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, we will just do, um, we'll, we'll just do Kabbalah. Oh, wow. Okay. I, I was expecting the opposite. I was expecting a shoof. But uh, we're staying in the ruts where you could. Let's do it. Is that okay? Anyone, anyone okay? Okay, because I think that what, what, I, what I'm happy about is, the reason why I don't want to stop is because we're at a very deep idea here, and I want to really try to actualize it today. Everyone follow so far? Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, there's a more perfected approach. This perfected approach, it's going to incorporate the first two methods. Remember last week we were talking about the example of Ephraim and Michael? What would we say about them? One was on the bottom of the hill and the other was on the top. That's right. They're going up or down. And what is the ultimate, what, is the, what, what, what do we ultimately want? To reach the middle. To reach the middle. But somebody has to go up the hill and somebody has to go down the hill. So, Why do we want to reach the middle? Why can't we just go up? I was thinking the because, same thing. Because we don't want to... We, because if we wanted to go up, the whole, the whole purpose of... If the whole purpose in this metaphor was to go up, then you know what would happen? Why the heck should we be created? Why can't God keep the angels? Why can't God keep the celestial beings and not even create us? We're too convoluted and conflicted and and, and issue-oriented to start. Let's keep the angels. The angels said that to God. What are you doing? So at the top, it's almost like we're looking to escape from the world in a way. Not only looking, we will end up escaping from the world. Mm. That's why the garments of the soul are much like more powerful than the actual soul. That's right. Well, for us in this world, because they connect us to this world. But again, you're, you're, you're moving ahead, but yes, you're right. You told us a story in the Kabbalah class about uh, the guy who wanted to leave the world. So God said, okay, leave. Yeah. Which one was Lemach. that? Lemach. Lemach. Yeah. That was his story. He was yeah. supposed to live much it was longer. Just, yeah, he was supposed to live much longer. And God took him away from the world early. He's oh, like, this world is a terrible, like, place, this huh? world's terrible place. It's me and you, God. No problem. Me and you, God. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> That's not why you came into this world. You didn't come into this world to spend your whole life as a Buddhist monk. Hmm. Yeah, it's the mountaintop monk scenario. Yeah. Which, is, which I've always found a bizarre mix of very, very transcendent. But also very, very selfish in a way. Course, Completely it's selfish. selfish. It's so selfish. Completely it's selfish. Like, I would love to be in a garden all day and just... Med- like, I would love to... Do you, you have any sure. idea? 
my my nature would love that. Yeah, me too. My nature would love that. Me too. I would be the first one on yeah. the plane to India. Oh, yeah, of course. Study all day, meditate, chill. Well, don't bother me. Don't yeah. deal. But you know what? Every single morning, I have to wake up. Government. To wake up, I have to take care of my children. Right. I have to, you know, come and be connected to people. And the purpose of that is because that is the purpose of being in this world. Mm. Not to be the lemma saying me and you God. It's easy, me and you God. If you're a spiritualist, it's very easy. So if in this world you don't have a struggle, basically, because that's what it comes down to, then you, you, you basically cease to exist. Hmm. Why? Well, because that's your purpose. I mean, you have to do something. You're here to do something, which generally implies a struggle. No, you're here sort. for a purpose, and the purpose is an action. So it's, it's important to... to to, to differentiate. Remember, language, we're going to start learning language and definition is so important. And that is that you're here because God wanted your soul to be in this world, at this time, in this place, to your parents, to your community, to your place. This is where God wanted you. Why? And you may have many purposes, by the way. It's not one purpose. It could be many purposes throughout your lifetime. But you have, your soul came in and it's unique in its functionality in connection and relation to this world. It's unique. It's more unique than any other soul that ever existed because it's only your purpose, your unique purpose. It could even be other incarnations of your soul, if you want to go there, have different purposes, which means that your incarnation of your soul has also a unique purpose from all the other incarnations of the same soul. And that purpose is to do something. It's an action, specifically. Hmm. So now, is that, what's the most more perfected approach? No, let's so go into approaches? So, The ultimate goal for Ephraim and Michael going up and down the mountain is that each retain their own identity. What does that mean? Kabbalah takes this approach in making ideas and thoughts that are very lofty and delicate, accessible to the average human mind without compromising an iota of their purity. Which is exa- exactly what you picked up on before. Like you, when you said, there's no definition. Well, we need to create a definition. But we're, Kabbalah is now adding something to your, to your understanding. And that is, it's not just about creating the definition of emotions versus intellect. It's about creating it without compromising on its purity. The moment you define something, you lose something from it, or it loses something. You don't want to ever lose anything from defining so something. Just, so I have the first part. The ultimate goal is that each element retains its own identity. Right. And then the second part after that, you is said... That, yeah. Is it's that, about retaining the essence. It's about naming it and retaining its essence. It's about naming it without losing its integrity. Or its purity. Better, its purity. Because we'll talk about the difference between integrity and purity at some point. Which we do every single time we use the word God. Every single time we use the word there God. There's never been a single why? time that anybody we're not going to use the word God. God. We haven't done this. In Kabbalah, we're going to use the word Abakus. We're going to use the word Havaya, Elohim. We're going to use other words that are not necessarily God because God is too superficial and it's not even connection. What does it mean anyway? 
when you learn what is elakus, or when you learn other terms in reference to God, you're going to find that there's all different elements to it. Mm-hmm. So now, let's go back to our analogy that we started speaking about last week. Ephraim and Michael. They meet in the middle. One comes down the mountain halfway, and the other goes up the mountain halfway. Each of them is willing to unite with the other, yet not being irresponsible by forsaking their true position. Imagine that Ephraim represents the mind, the intelligence. And Michael is representing the emotions and the character attributes. So now, our first approach would be analogous to the seichel within the midot, which means the descent of the mind to the emotions. Remember, they're going down half, well, they're going down fully. The second would be the elevation of the midot of the emotions to the status of the mind known as midot shebesecho. The third that we're talking about here allows for both. Healthy, concrete emotions felt in the heart, guided and harnessed by the intellect. The ultimate of the Seichel-Midot relationship, of the intellect-emotion relationship would be this approach. What do we call this? And this is what Kabbalah, and we're going to refer, refer to it from this point forward, as Midot al Seichel. What is Midot al Seichel? Emotions in the mouth. Of- what? Emotions guided by-, guided by intellect. That's what we want. So it's not... Middle, like they didn't reach the middle. No, no. Like the mind, they went a bit. You move the entire mountain. Exactly, you move the entire mountain. That's exactly. Because what happens is that if they met in the middle, the bottom would lose the bottom, and the top would lose the top. Let's let's explain it a little. Let's explain it a little better. You've lost both, but you've gained both. Uh, both. I I was just about to go there. Because (laughs) in fact, at the middle ground, you can see both. Yeah, but this actually actually says that you're touching both. Well, you would, in essence. This is is a very amazing uh, uh, sequence of thoughts. Because I was also into the two. I'm like, okay, I get the descent of the mind to the emotions. I get the elevation of the emotions to the mind. Okay, it's cute. It's like... It's like one is going up to the other, the other is going up, and each of, each one wants to know the other, and each one wants to. It's like you're still kind of like in that very like, but to have the emotion do the emotion thing, and have the mind do the mind thing, and have both of those at the same time. So, what the mind can do is guide. What the emotions can do is, is ground in a sense in itself, and to have both of those that they each retain their essence and their element. So we can even two, say... Two feet firmly on the yeah. ground with a purpose guided fire. So you can't even say, like, Midot al doesn't mean that, like... It doesn't... Even even the word dominate, I think, is too strong. No. Guide is, is probably the best one. Guide. It's like the mind does what the mind does. That's right. But the emotion the mind guide The critical. mind guides the emotions. Mm. So we're going to go even a little step further, okay, within this. We're going to really try to define this 
Very, very, because you can't truly understand Seichel Amidot, you can't truly understand the, the mind and the emotions without really defining this properly. Okay, so we're going to go into right now defining Midot Al Piseho, which means emotions guided by the intellect. In the first approach, when Ephraim goes down to Michael, he's meeting him on Michael's turf, saying, in essence, what he's saying is, I surrender to you, Michael. It's true that I'm coming from above, and where I'm going is below. That's what I'm doing. I'm essentially surrendering to you. So what's primary in this situation is that the emotions are superior and the mind is inferior. He's going down. He's basically surrendering himself to the emotions. When the emotions are really in control, what do we call that? right? The intellect within the emotions. Now, in the second approach, it's exactly the opposite. The emotions are elevated toward the mind. The emotions within the secha, within the intellect, or what we call midot shebesecha, what happens here is actually no relevance to daily life. It's the approach of the absent-minded professor, so to speak. That for the emotions, they're swimming in the ocean of intelligence, having nothing to do with the practical world. And that's the problem. Oh, you that's used like, to think like that midot... You used Those to think that the Mido Shevaseicho, Mido Shevaseicho, idealized that 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 whole thing. Look, I, I I told you that I used to be part of the Association of Jewish Scholars, the AJS, and I stopped it because it, because of, I told but you the story. Are they, are they allowed to discuss Talmud in the No. So no. So one day I was sitting. I was at the AJS conference. I was at the AJS. Aren't you, aren't you allowed? Listen, listen. So I, I'll just, I told the story before, but I'll tell it again. The, the, I was sitting at the AJS conference, and I was sitting on the can, and there were two professors in the two stalls over with me debating a piece of Talmud. And I was so upset about it. I went, and they said, what do you mean? It's just Talmud. No, you can't. It's holy. We consider it holy. The same reason we can, but you can be so easily be a masculine and be removed from it. What do you mean? It's just philosophy. Yeah. It's, it's almost like the version of the sandwich, the guy with the sandwich. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. I'm out. I can't do this. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I was, I was actually, I had a meeting with his grandson the other night. It should the Masman. We were talking about it, you know, his grandfather and the fact that he got killed because he couldn't have the sandwich. Mm. Now we're going to go and we're trying to define the third approach. There's no superior and inferior. Both are true equals. Each are having their own unique qualities, complementing the other in the form of unity. The mind creates its own world, which is abstract and removed from the real issues of life, while the emotions are in the practical world. See, here's the problem. In the first approach, the emotions are too strong. Because the mind basically gave in to the immediate practicality of how we feel, and the mind even more so is justifying the feelings. Oh, don't worry, it's okay, it's okay. Essentially, what a lot of therapy is. Won't go there, though. 
I didn't say that. Off the record. In the second approach, we have the mind in total control and the emotion subordinate to the mind. So when it comes to the practical, to real life, there's nothing that you can relate to the world with. Our emotions and character attributes are simply reflections of the intellect. It's beautiful, but it's not ideal. Like, like Fred said, it used, to, it used to be the ideal way. At some point, as an intellectual, you're like, well, isn't that the ideal way to be totally removed? Be the absent-minded professor? No, it's not the way. You don't want to be the absent-minded professor. Now, it's, it's funny, uh, I'm going to say about that point, because I, I used to be, like, I, I went very, like, into, like, the academic world, like, I did two master's degrees, I wanted to be a professor, I, I just intuitively, like, felt stuff in that world, it's like, I don't know, it's, it's not, I'm not feeling, I saw the politics, and I was like, as soon as I saw that it wasn't, like, a, a, a genuine, honest, dispassionate search for truth, I was like, all right, I, I don't know, this is like a game. It's, it's like a political. Game, you know? But political. no one has to be the absent-minded professor? Nobody. Okay. Uh, Nobody. <laughs> But what happens is that, so I get a lot of my, my, my uh, people that, that like I hire, and like, I, I usually like when people have a master's degree, at least, you know? And it's like, that, that's like, so I see what the professors do, the absent-minded professor, if you want, like the academics. And now it's like, after having practiced in my field for like, like a few years, you know? After having practiced, like really, uh, like, being in the world, if you want, I, I can now understand that those limitations that I saw when they were like in the, the pure, like sort of academic realm, and I'm like, now, I'm like, I'm a little bit like, um, not contemptuous or not like, but I'm a little bit like, what are these people doing? Like, it's so disingenuous really what they're doing. It's like, we're going to be super, uber, uber, uber specialized and focused on things that happen 0.0001% of the time. When you say like, like divorce from the real world, it's like, I can throw them like a basic problem, like any like business person has today on that issue. And they would have no idea what to say. They would just like, start like, it's like you're maladaptive. Like you're not, your knowledge is not useful in the world. It's, it's, it's pure knowledge that is segregated from its usefulness in the world. It's like, okay, like you just, it's like a game. It's, it's like, interesting it's because real. in our society, it's the academic that we yeah. really That's look right. up to most, yeah. but yeah. it's actually what we don't want. To his point, you know, um, when I was asked to sit on the board of McGill for translation, um, I, I was saddened and appalled by the disconnect mm -hmm. and they actually they brought me in because for the very for the very that very reason mm -hmm. is that what is it that is needed in the real world yeah. to succeed and these people like have no clue and i thought and to myself <laughs> you're joking me so right? many things yes. and the proof is is that in, in, in that university has no reference to real life mm -hmm. yeah well, that's why unfortunately in our society they say if you can do and if you can't teach yeah, yeah, exactly. But it's that's sad. not true. But in Kabbalah, in our world, we want to be the person who can do the most is the person who should be teaching. That's right. They've got the most useful knowledge. That's right. But you, you really see that in academia. It's like, I mean, in my field, I, I tell my students, it's like, you're like, the head of the program there, like, they need to do a little internship. Like, they need to do some basic cases. They need to, like, understand like how this applies in the real world. They, they have no clue. Like they're completely clueless. And the stuff that they teach these kids, it's like, I look at the exams, I look at the, I'm like, what are they doing? Like they are unpreparing them for the world. Yeah. It's like if you oh, enter the world saying, yeah. and you try to apply this to the world, it's you are further away from it than if you just started from scratch with your natural intelligence. And I'm like, okay, here's a problem. 
How do we attack it? Okay, this is the basics. Let's start with the fundamentals. The fundamentals alone will carry you through 80% of the cases, right? So let's just really solidify those, right? And then yes, sometimes there's the weird thing, but when there's the weird thing, we dive into it and we figure it out. Don't worry about it, you know? We don't need to like force the extremely weird thing into the basics. That's right. No, no, that's a that's an impure yeah, transaction. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. So now, so now we understand the, we understand our first approach. Sorry, I needed it personally. Your fault, Marie. I woke up at five a.m. We understand our first approach is our emotions that are that are now guiding. Our intellect. And then we have the intellect guiding the emotions. Now, in our third approach here, the real practical world exists within a healthy framework. The clear and objective strength offered and given by the intellect, true feelings of love and awe of God must fall within this category. You see, what we want to do is we want to have those feelings of love and awe. Love and awe. Because, but the love and awe, when they're guided by the intellect, what happens to the love and awe? What happens to it? When the intellect is what's guiding it. When it's only the, the intellect, then love and awe just go out the window. No, 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 no. not at all, they, they not at all. They will not be directed No, we're talking about the third approach now. Yeah, oh, the third okay. approach. The third they, approach. They will not be guided towards self-love, that's for sure, right? Because that would be like... That would be like exactly. Just, it's not about me. I'm not that narcissistic. Would be just the emotion. Exactly. Self love is totally emotional. Yeah. It's so not going to be totally intellectual. Concepts, so, concepts of the good, otherness. So, how, so think about it. If the emotions are being guided by the intellect, what does love and awe look like? Do you even have any idea? Do you have any framework be, for it? Then it should be pretty blissful. What What does it look like? Like pure. What is love? Okay, let's, let's, it's too complicated. Love and all. How does, what is, if you have, if your emotions are guided by your, uh, your intellect, what does your relationship look like with your significant other? You have to, you have to orient. Loving, accepting. No, you have to orient your, your emotions, right, towards some form of higher good. Yeah. Some kind of higher good. You, you, you follow that? Right. So what ends up happening is, so two people, like the ideal, ideally in a relationship, let's say even in a marriage, we have two people that have a goal together. They're trying to rise higher together. So what are the, what's all their passion and love for one another are helping them rise higher. What is that? The intellect guiding the emotions. And then what's the intellect going to do? It's going to use the emotions to further its cause. I, I think... People's problem today is that they, 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 they can go that far. But then it's like, but the intellect can tell me different things, right? I can define the higher good in many different ways. That's right. And that's when they lose their ability to elevate some things over others. That's why you need your non-negotiables. That's why you need your platform, your ethics and morals and, and values that are non-negotiable. I don't go there. I don't, I don't, I'm sorry. I don't do it. Yeah, this is where you have to... That's, why the, that's, that's where a mitzvah and a Torah come in as a practical ramification. We're going to talk about it at a different time. But that's where it comes in. You need a practical, not just a framework, not just a, a, an intellectual framework. You need a practical framework. Why do you need all the... I mean, 
What are all the details for? Why do you need all the details? I don't understand. Like, really? Look, just say six days a week, you work seven days to rest. I'll rest. I'll rest on Saturday. Like, just don't bother me. I'll rest. I'll do whatever I'm going to do. Sometimes I'm watching a movie. Sometimes I read a book. I can tell you how I rest. I'm very good at resting. Most people will say that to God. But God doesn't say that. God will make a list and list and list of this is how you do This is what you do in this situation and that situation. And da, 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 da. Why all this? That's called rest? Too much information. No, because you need a very, very practical guide and framework in order to truly understand what your boundaries and limitations are and what the values are. And that's how you allow your emotions to be guided by the intellect. So, now let's understand how and only how the third approach is the only way. How does this third approach of the emotions being guided by the intellect establish a true heartfelt emotions facilitated by taking the emotion of chesed, let's say, and we'll analyze it. Let's use that, we're going to use that, that emotion specifically. So, in Kabbalah, we use Abraham. Abraham becomes the metaphor for the embodiment of loving kindness. Chesed. Chesed, the translation of Chesed, is loving kindness. His kindness was magnificent. His kindness was overflowing. Yet at all times, his loving kindness was guided by the objectivity of intellect. So, here's the story that's talked about in the Torah. Hi. Hi. So, the third day, following the circumcision. God says you should circumcise himself. How old was he? 80? 90. 90. 90. 90. 90. 90. 90. 90. 90. 90. 90. 90. 90. 90. 90. 90. 90. 90. 90. 90. 90. 90. 90. 90. 90. 90. 90. 90. 90. 90. 90. 90. 90. 90. 90. 90. 90. 90. Let's ask ourselves some basic questions. Anyone ever had a surgery? Anyone ever have a surgery? Imagine three days after your surgery, like a really crazy surgery, like getting a circumcision at 99 years old. Just saying. DIY. DIY version. Let's, that's it. That's intense. Okay. The men in the room are like in, having in a different year experience. whatever, like, you didn't have <laughs> surgical instruments back then. Exactly. Actually, though, I'm told that you can actually, you can talk yourself into it and you can walk yourself through zero pain. Some people hang themselves. There. I'm told. Yeah. I'm told. I wouldn't know firsthand. I'm now, <laughs> question number one. How the flippin' heck did he have the physical strength to get out of bed? Next, why is he so interested in going to find people to feed in the middle of a desert where there's nobody around, where he knows that there's probably not anyone, but he's going and looking for people to feed. So this 99-year-old man just been inflicted with a wound. He's in excruciating pain, yet he's going out 
of every possible intellectual ramification. I mean, he could ju- how many times can his emotions justify? Stay in bed, stay in bed. It's okay. You need to, you need to heal. You need to take care of yourself. You just had a tremendous uh, surgery. What are you doing? What was the secret? The secret was that Abraham was in greater pain not to be benevolent. It hurt him greater than the physical pain of a surgery was the pain of not being benevolent. While he was lying in bed, he wasn't able to be rest, and he wasn't able to be calm. His spiritual agony outweighed his physical pain. He needed to find someone in order to achieve his peace of mind. That was what he needed for his recuperation. Closeness to God was his ultimate good. Better than rest. Better than recuperation. It's so hard to relate to this, huh? Impossible. We're negating something else. Oh, I... By clarifying... You understand what's going on here? By, By saying, stating that his he's in agony he's going through all this pain we're negating the fact that if god was so close to or spoke directly to abraham to say to do this why wouldn't god be able to remove that pain altogether oh come on you're taking shortcuts <laughs> no but we're, we're we're negating that there yeah, could be a form of god could do everything see, see hold on a second maurice maurice you're 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 this is the exact this is this is the exact way of thinking that a lot of people have wrong when the relation to this world why don't you just leave this world altogether forget about the flipping pain that's not the god doesn't want that god wants us to experience pain in this world god wants us to experience yeah, agony like in this world we don't like this one. no that's <laughs> see that's the thing you have the wrong reference to to this god the point is, is that what's the point of being in this world? The point of being in this world is to fulfill your, your unique purpose. Part of fulfilling your unique purpose is experiencing this world. Not to be, look, it's so easy to, to say everything. No one said life was going to be easy. Marie, Wait, in a minute, sense, I had this conversation with you before and I noted it down that purpose was action. It had nothing to do with pain. So action. No, pain Marie, is also action. Marie, yeah, we had that conversation. In a sense, in a sense what you would be doing, <laughs> if you took that approach, what you would be doing is you would be taking the all-powerful aspect of God and reducing it saying that its purpose is to eliminate our pain why should its purpose be that why should its purpose be that is that not a rationalization of the emotional self wait a minute we do it all the time of course that is, wrong. and what do we call that what do we call that we call the emotions that, justifying the, the, right. controlling we, and guiding the intellect we call that narcissism wait a minute wait a minute I mean like so many about, you know, about God interceding to help us to be Yeah, we have a problem with prayers. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get us started about prayers. Yeah. Prayers is a different conversation. about praying. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but I mean, the, the, how much of it? I mean, all the fear-based gibbly gook that we read is about how to be with God and to, to have God in uh, with us interceding. And it, so why wouldn't God be able to intercede here? And, but the purpose of God is praying? not to alleviate your pain. That's such a profoundly self-centered way of looking at it. It's like if there is an all-powerful God, if, if we have... If? No, 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 no. Follow it logically. Be logical about it, okay? Be logical about it. That's right. So let's be logical. If it's there the is, coffee. There, there's an all-powerful entity, okay? We have... We're, we're a, cre- a creature of flesh and bone, okay? 
we have the privilege of being able, perhaps, to connect Maybe. to connect to that all powerful, right? First of all, we should be we should be extremely grateful and thankful that we have that capacity. But well, what's the purpose? God forbid. Just, just a second. God forbid that I should say that the purpose of that all powerful entity, which is infinitely greater than anything I can imagine, is to alleviate my pain. Like, really? Well, how nice is that to in, yourself? In that same that's logic, very nice. Wait, the whole world that, exists wait, that, just for me. Like, no, no, no. Why? Like, in that same logic, this all-powerful yeah. being makes sure that a bird gets what it needs to eat. Why wouldn't this all-powerful, magnificent, omnipotent God be able to intercede to remove my pain? But why wouldn't it? Why wouldn't it? Because that's not its purpose. Why not? Who's because it? you can't understand its purpose. It's greater than anything you can understand. Reducing that to your earthly purpose is 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 a huge problem. It's 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 what function? So I want my God to function as a kind of all powerful like nanny state kind of God. Like come in and fix all my problems. Like time no. out. First of all, fix your own problems. <laughs> Second of all, maybe with a lot of work you can connect that all powerful entity. That's a gift that you have. So maybe with humility, you can get to a little chunk of that. But the purpose of that all-powerful God is not at all. You know, it goes back to the whole, um, the big dilemma of the, um, the good person that has a, like a, a bad life and the bad person has a good life. And that's like one of, a lot of people approach that as an objection to the existence of God. Like, time out. If there was a God, would he ever permit all these terrible things to happen, right? Like, like visibly like innocent people dying and stuff right the whole great question about why why bad things happen to good people why bad things happen to good people or right. why bad things happen at all actually like at all right and it's like no that's not the nature of our world the nature of our world is we are in this animalistic kingdom okay and it's 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 survival and it's death and it's suffering and it's th- that's the nature of this world right that is the actual nature of this world the godly reality is something else it's something other. It is not subjugated to the logic of this of this of this this this, this jungle that we have down here, right? And I would say even even when you go up the chain of like the economy or like our democracy or our government, I would I would say it's still an extension of the animalistic jungle. It's just an extension of that. It's an intellectual extension of that 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 jungle world, right? But it's like if we want to connect to the transcendent aspect of this all-powerful entity that we call God, and in doing so, of course, we're, we're, we're creating images and we're doing all of those things, right? That's the problem. So we end up relating it to things that we know in this world. That's a big problem, right? Um, I, I would say that it should go in the, the other direction. It's we should try to subjugate ourselves to that logic. And that logic should not subjugate itself to our needs. Because doing that, it's just like with prayer, Maurice, for instance, the reason I find a big problem with prayer also is like prayer that's demanding things. Like, I want this. I, like, and by the way, when you're very young, like I'm sure like smart, like 12 year olds, like they read the prayer book, it's like, God, give me money. Like, give me this, give me this, give me that. Like, that's nice. That's, 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 that's nice for yourself that you should want things for yourself. That's great. That's a great thing. Like, why are you like putting God into that? With the wrong spirit, right? With the spirit of I'm demanding this. I'm asking this because I need this because I want this. It's not like I hope that if I do everything right, I'm gonna get some of that. It's not that. It's more like a demanding kind of spirit, right? Like I want this. Like of course 
you should want this, right? That's the animalistic kingdom. You should want safety, you should want money, you should want all of these things that are going to satisfy your animal self. That's great. One of the most profound prayers is what we say in Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, that tshuva tefillah tzedakah ma'avir and that prayer, repentance, and charity avert the severity of a decree. And it's a, there's a, all these fascinating ideas behind it where, why can't you eliminate the decree? Why can't we eliminate pain? Why are we saying avert the severity? That's what we want from God? That's the great, the high prayer? We scream it on Yom Kippur, the whole synagogue that was shaking, everybody's feeling so emotional, avert the severity of the decree? I don't want the decree. Mm-hmm. But that's not what life's about. That's not what it's about. So, do, so we believe that God is um, lining us with a decree on our heads and going to give us pain and suffering. That, that's the whole purpose of God? You know, one of, the most, one of the most active moments of a person's life is, heaven forbid, when the cycle of life for their parent ends. The parent passes away. And people who don't walk into a synagogue all of a sudden will find themselves in the synagogue to say the Kaddish. And even people who aren't believers or aren't doing prayer, mm-hmm. they'll do the Kaddish. Mm-hmm. The Kaddish, it's, why? Because it's a beautiful thing. I love, I think that out of all of the rituals that we have in Judaism, the, the rituals around death are very, really amazing. The idea of how we honor the dead and how we do the Shiva that honors the, the mourners. And then the, the, the idea that the mourners have the ability to honor their, their, their loved ones for the year throughout the Kaddish. What is the Kaddish? What is the whole purpose of the Kaddish? The Kaddish is to, we believe, that after the soul is removed from the body, slowly, there's a process of slow removal, and there's a cleansing process through which the soul becomes pure again. That cleansing process does not last more than 12 months. The Kaddish eases the pain of the cleansing process. It can only be done by the mourner, in this world that is directly connected to the soul that has already gone on to the next world, and the Kaddish eases the pain of the cleansing process. But maybe, you know, it's, it's that idea... That didn't answer anything. I, I know all that. And I'm saying that... You, think about it. Think, to Abraham. think about it a second. Mm-hmm. Think maybe about it a, purpose, a second. You don't think there's a purpose to suffering? I know there is. So what is it? Learning. Is that your answer? No. 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 Don't we need a little bit of suffering in order to detach ourselves? No. It's the same thing as going to school. You know what? You're busting your nuts with you know mathematical problems. You learn them. You you grow through the learning, through the 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 pain of knocking your brain. Learning. I see life obstacles in the same vein. Okay. What happens when your teacher tells you that if, even if you made a mistake, it's all it's it's fine. Don't worry about it. You're good. What happens then? Do you learn a lot? No. Why? Well, you can't grow to the next step. That's right, because you stay in that comfort zone. And what happens when you're comfortable? What happens when you're comfortable? Do you learn or you don't learn? You shrink or do you expand? become complacent? You become complacent. It's a very animalistic. Listen, the animal out there wants to be comfortable. I'm only arguing about God's. Potential to intercede. 
Are we saying that God can't intercede? It doesn't make sense. He can no, intercede no. to get you it's out. Not about can or can. the other way. But, but, but reason, Inversely. It's not, it's not about can or can. It's about where can you find a relationship, a transcendent relationship beyond your, let's call it the animalistic self, right? Beyond that. How, where can you find that? And I actually find, like, even through this conversation, but I think so in general, I think suffering is one of the most privileged ways in which you can, you can access that, that relationship. I get it. Trust me. Trust me. You don't know me enough. Uh, I, I know, but I know you but know But also, this. another thing. But that's I'm the gonna, answer to your I'm question. I'm going to ask you something, Fred. Do you pray? Do you pray? I have a thing with prayer where I was, I was saturated with endless rote praying, like okay. very early so on in I my life. I was asking to get to prayer. I, I, I was asking for no, this but, reason. Because I've had points in my life where I pray, and then I've had other points in my life where I don't pray. And I can tell you that I, in the in the connectedness world, I can feel there's a difference in my my being in in those times. Absolutely. And that's only based on personal relationship mm. with God, mm. right? So when I pray, I feel there's different types of outcomes mm-hmm. and ease to the outcomes. That's great. Whereas when there's no prayer, there's more challenge. But why does that have anything to do with suffering? That's exactly my point. So tell me, what's the question? That when when you have a more connectedness, there's more intercession. Okay. So Abraham's connected, man. The guy's got a pipeline to rest. Just a second. I think Abraham. Why would he have I to think suffer? Abraham, actually, it's one step beyond. I think it's not only like how did he get Lift himself out of bed and I think probably he lifted himself out of bed with an extra little bit of motivation that day, precisely. He used the fact that he was in pain. You see, like the effort that he had to do to transcend his animal self wanting to just lay in bed and drink tea, I don't know what they like under the tent, right? Like the effort they had to I think he took that as an opportunity. Did you see this? To probably connect with God even more. I think it's a very powerful idea. I think so. People who are depressed... How Absolutely. much more work is they got to get to bed? And, and the champion, they champion. I'm, I'm depressed, There's but I still got to bed. There's something heroic about that. Yes. There's a heroic connection to a greater good. Fighting like, the elements. I'm not going to let this aspect of my animal nature prevent me from giving to others, prevent me from doing my life's work. I'm not going to let it. I have the most excuses today. Today is dafka the day that I'm not going to let it do that. How much strength and power do you gain from a moment like that? It's a very powerful moment. In all the moment, all the power of the world. And and would you and, and would somebody in pain like, not like, it, 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 in retrospect, hindsight's twenty twenty, but looking back at it, would somebody the moments that you've been in pain in your life, would you give anything up for that? No, it's the most amazing moment and the ability to either be conquered by it or to conquer it. But I would say to go back to an example that is very controversial and very difficult, but the idea again of the Holocaust, okay? I find that people who went through so like my community didn't go through anything like that. It's like yeah, the Moroccan kid king said like I'll wear a, a star of David before they do. You know, it's like cool. Like we were sheltered. Maybe eventually Hitler would have would have gotten down to Morocco and like effect, but it never Hitler got to us. Got to Morocco. Hitler had his crematoriums in Ceuta, oh, which really? is part of Spain, and the, they were built, but and in, they're still there. I, I know, but in Morocco, nobody. Nobody, said, nobody's I parents. have no, I have no Jews. I have Moroccan. That's right. But it's like nobody suffered that 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 trauma, right? To me, people that went through that trauma and had the ultimate excuse not to believe in God, right? It's like any God that I'm connected to and that allows don't. this to happen, and, and most most probably, 
like fell by the wayside and said, you know what? Any God that I had a special connection to, chosen people, whatever, it's like any God that allowed this to happen and like children to die and whatever, you know what? I'm done with that God. And by the way, a lot of Ashkenazi people took that and, and, and they doubled down on the real world. Like, let's let's become successful. Let's 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 go and build their companies. Let's, right. Like, that you know, became their protection. That's right. That became their protection. So, but imagine the person that believes in God after that. Imagine that level of faith. I mean, that's, we can't comprehend. I don't think regular human beings, like if you haven't gone through, the, you know, a man's search for meaning. Uh, yeah, Frankl. Yeah, Victor Frankl, yeah. Like a Victor Frankl, as you're saying that. A Victor Frankl, uh, a, a, a human being. I mean, if that's not heroic, I don't know what is. I mean, and you ever, if you ever meet today, there still lives people who are very devoutly religious and went through the Holocaust. There's many who, who are not. Those people are treasures of mankind. They're we should unbelievable. talk to them and we should, like, they know what meaning is. Like, we don't, like, you know, living, it's, it's, it's easy to believe, not believe. I'll believe 30%, I'll believe 28%, I'll watch Netflix, I'll believe at night. There's an amazing, turn it on and off. There's an amazing, amazing uh, documentary called Lion of Judah, which goes through the life of one of these survivors. And it's amazing. And just like you see, you're right, there's just a different heroism in this person than you find in any other uh, person, at least that I've met. And there, there's, there can't be that many that are still alive today. Not so many. Like, we're talking like in the dozens probably, or maybe the hundreds, maybe, maybe the hundreds. hundreds. Maybe. These people should be, uh, should be it's fascinating. documented. They are. Yeah, they are. Steven Spielberg did a whole, he interviewed every single one of them. Is that, is that available? Yeah. Yeah. What is it called? The, the, I mean, the show up project that yeah. Steven Spielberg did. Uh, Where can you get, get access to it? I'm really not sure, but he interviewed every survivor. Wow. Really? It's yeah. called the and show up project? Yeah. yeah. So you S-H-O-A-A? Yeah. S-H-O-A-A? So you must Spielberg show up project. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, your grandfather's part of it, I think. No, I mean, it's, 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 he literally, there's, there's a, there's a, he has a whole, uh, Library now of the survival. I mean, he did it for thirty years. Wow. Was, he did it with his own money. He yeah. just privately funded the whole Went thing. All over the world. When so what he had you're people going about, the, about like like hundreds of hours, thousands, of, of thousands of hours, thousands of hours of. of, hours of Somebody should curate. He that. was looking he for did. something. He, he, he curated. He it? was yeah. looking for something. He was looking for. He's he was. He's well, his mother a survivor, right? His mother just passed away. Oh yeah. Just recently, about six or seven months ago. But did you, did you ever meet her? She, for years, she owned a, a restaurant in LA called the Milky Way. It was a Chalav Yisrael kosher restaurant. And uh, his mom, and she was there. She would greet everybody at the door. She was the most amazing woman. I met her a few times. Yeah, amazing, amazing woman. She literally stood at the door every single day. She always at the front of the house. And she ran this restaurant until, I mean, a couple of days before she died. Wow. And she died in her late 90s. The Milky Way restaurant. She had um, autographs of celebrities all over the walls, and it was cool. It was a cool little place. Wow. So, Abraham. So, let's go back. Can I have some coffee? Sure. Thanks. Careful, apparently, it's very potent. Especially when you drink three cups of it. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to finish this idea? We're, we're still good? Yeah. Peace yeah, in the Middle East? Peace in the Middle East, yeah, always. Okay. Peace in, peace in Korea? Okay. The Talmud explains the following. It says, 
that regarding to this verse, when it refers to Abraham, the verse says, and he called in the name of God, Lord of the universe. The Talmud says it means that not only did he himself call to God, but he made others do so as well. He always had people coming into his home to eat and to drink. Having finished eating and drinking, they picked themselves up and they're about to leave and he told them, you have a choice. Either give thanks to God for the food that you ate or pay for your food. What was the price of the food? Well beyond their means. A million dollars for the meal. Oh, really? <laughs> he blackmailed them to a certain yeah. extent. Now, of course, what do they do? They opted to thank God for the food. I mean, free food, thank God, or pay a million dollars. Which is interesting in its, how, what, what their value system was. Right? If your value system is money, then who cares? Everything to the... To, Charge to a the, reasonable price. Yeah, no, no. If your value system is money, then I'll do anything to save my money. Mm. Yeah. Even do things that I don't agree with. Mm. So it's a, it's a, mm. right, we, we can go very deep into that, right? Mm. Where, because if the means becomes your value, then there's not really a value. So you can break that value at any point just to save the means. But I would say also if Abraham's value system was just money... Then just charge a reasonable price. Exactly. People but would have paid obviously, the price. His value, obviously, he didn't see money. He made money. it impossible. He didn't see money as a value. He didn't care yeah. about money, obviously. Yeah. yeah. What a question. So it, it said Abraham called to God. Yeah. But then he asked, Abraham asked everyone to give thanks to God. So is the allegory called is thanks? Yeah. Is that the No, it says he called the name of God, Lord of the years. For, referring to God twice, that he not only called to God himself, but he made others call. That's why they have God twice in that sentence. So is the, is it calling is equal to thanking God? Or? No, no. Abraham called in the name of God, Lord of the universe. The, the, the Talmud says the reference to the double entendre of God means that he not only called to God himself, but he made others to call God. Okay. So now let's go into the de- let's let's get into the details a bit. It seems that Abraham used blackmail to get his guests to do what he wanted. Can it be possible that Abraham, who was the true Jewish forefather, he would use such tactics? Come on, we're saying we're talking about Abraham here. Abraham using blackmail? It wasn't real blackmail though, because he basically forced them to have a free meal. But that was, was that the, but, but they didn't believe it. They had other gods. They were, we were worshiping other things. Maybe he was introducing the notion of the, mm-hmm. of the single god. So, mm-hmm. so let's understand Abraham a second. And I think this is really going to explain a lot of this idea. Since Abraham epitomized the quality of chesed, of loving kindness, to the point of putting his side, his physical pain for the pleasure of helping people, how is it possible that he would act such a cruel way? That, think about how, to what extent he cares about loving kindness. He's putting aside his own physical pain in order to help someone else. So if this is the essence of Abraham, we're going to have to say he did not possess an iota of severity. So how could he say no? How could he pressure them? How could he use harshness, which is the very opposite of loving kindness? So what Kabbalah explains is the following. Is that true, objective, healthy emotions are guided by intellect. This is known as midot al-pi secha, in which where 
There's a unity of intellect and emotions. An emotion is powerful. An emotion is felt in the heart. When emotions give rise to actions, they do so with overwhelming power. This causes a person to go too far and act indiscriminately in many aspects and behave like an animal that acts primarily based on instinct without discerning between good and bad. Humans are not animals. Humans are not animals. Primarily, the human modus operandi is intellect, which is cold, it's analytical, and it's rational. And it's the complete opposite of emotions. Intellect is the complete opposite of emotions. So how do we bring these two worlds together? This is the great Kabbalistic question today. How do we bring two opposite worlds together? One that is cold and analytical and one that is warm and vibrant and emotional. It's by realizing that each one has its place. It's the responsibility of the intellect to tell what's right and wrong. Once that has been established, the intellect then calls upon the emotions to activate their warmth and passion. Since the intellect realizes its limitations in regard to acting emotionally, it therefore demands that the emotions use the strength. Because the, the, the intellect are guiding the emotions, it says, now you emotions, use your strength, use your warmth, use your vibrancy, use your passion. This approach ends up leading to a very proper and healthy emotions that are not out of control. They're never out of control. As soon as, soon, so we're going to go, we're going to go back to this. So as soon as the emotions want to get carried away in an improper way, it has a check and balance system called intellect, which prevents it from acting out of line. Finally, both the intellect and the emotions are activating their strengths and working in unison, each desiring the other's assistance. So what do we go? Let's go back to Abraham. How does this work? In the case of Abraham, he had an obligation not to allow the strangers to walk away without thanking God for their food. That was his intellect harnessing his emotions. He believed in God to the point where he became his obligation to make sure that others did so as well. He does epitomize kindness. However, if he had let them go, it would be Abraham's emotions acting wildly without intelligence. So on the contrary, because he was who he was, is the very reason he uses intellect to intervene and guide his emotions. This isn't blackmail, it's truth and wisdom. What, I'll give you the, the classic example. So if it was up to him, he'd just give him the food and, and tell them to believe what they want. Exactly. What want. If it was, but that's not true loving kindness. That's passivity. That's passive loving kindness. True loving kindness is I love you more than anything and that's why you should thank God. The, the, the classic example the Rebbe would give is if you never saw a surgery before. You came off a different planet and you walk into a room and you see a guy standing over someone's body with a knife. 
What is the doctor? The doctor is the epitome of loving kindness. But in order to be, lo- to be kind for this particular person who needs a surgery, the doctor has to cut the person open to be able to fix whatever it is. Is that severity? You're using a knife? Blood? You're cutting someone open? You're making pain? Pain. 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 <laughs> That's loving kindness, God? Pain? The great teacher. Doctor, what are you doing? If you love me, you wouldn't hurt me. God, what are you doing? If you loved me, you didn't hurt me. You wouldn't hurt me. Pain. Or maybe another example. A child playing with a knife. Two-year-old playing with a knife, right? We, we said this before. And the parent takes it away. The child's crying. The child's so upset. Is the parent being kind or is the parent being strict? That's right. You see with children, like when they're like two, three years old and you tell them like not to do something they really want to do and that's bad for them. It's like, why do you hate me? <laughs> it's, but, like, it's like, you but, hate me? <laughs> but the point is that the child that's doesn't have the, the child doesn't have the intellectual capacity to understand the ramifications of their actions. So the parent has to use a different form of loving kindness. It's not an emotional, undiscriminating kindness. It's a true love because the parent is using the gift of the human species, intelligence, in fostering love and appreciation. The parent is activating a healthy emotion based on a healthy mind. That is the true meaning of Midot Apisecho. You know, there's, there's like a form of love that's extremely selfish, that's like just focused on the immediate affection of like, you know, the, the, the gratification of like that affection, right? It's, it's very, very like, but that's, that's like in this scheme, it's very much connected to the emotions, the nefesh bahami. Exactly. And, and it's, it's easy, but it's easy while, while doing that to spoil your children and not to do the right thing for them, not to do what's good for them. So again, you've got to refer to a concept of the good. You've got to refer to an intellectual concept, which is what's good for you. So you bring consciousness to the, the question, right? And it's like now you're trying to guide their behavior so that they be prepared to live in the world in an appropriate way, in a healthy way. So you've got to implement some discipline, right? That, is, that, that appears to them as like pointless pain. It appears to them as completely pointless. My son, 10 years old, he will question things very intelligently, but at, at the end of the day, it's based on ignorance. It's because he just doesn't know how the world works. And it's like, but it's useless, he says. And what's the difference between you and him? It's like, I have knowledge of what's out there. But you have more than knowledge. Yeah. You have more than knowledge. You have experience. You have age. That's right. That's right. It's, it's hard one. Because he could also. You also have a developed mind. Yeah. You have a developed mind that a 10-year-old may not have. That's right. I tell him. So because these... you don't know anything. That's why you think it's useless. It's actually very useful. Let me show you how. And then he's like, he gets bored. It's like, all right, all right, I'll get it. I'll just do it. It's like, no, no, if you ask why, we're going to sit down and we're going to look at the why. It's like, no, no, that's okay, I'll just do it. It's very simple. <laughs> if you allow the garbage to stay in the garbage can, eventually there'll be more garbage and it's going to overflow and it's going to smell and it's going to create animals and other things and, and bacteria and... These people love their kids and want them to be comfortable and the gratification that they allow... That you're not loving them appropriately loving loving is not smothering that's right loving is not being a helicopter parent a little bit of tough love right Maurice? 
So it was a long wait. Right now, right now on the calendar, we're in the Omer. And tomorrow is Lagba Omer. So there's two very powerful parts of Lagba Omer. The first is that it's the passing of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, the author of the Zohar. And he said that the day of someone's passing is not a sad day, but a celebratory day. And he said, well, the day I pass, you should celebrate. Celebrate that my, I completed my purpose in this world. That was his philosophy. It's unbelievable, that his, his view on, on life. He said, you should celebrate the fact that God said, you, Reb Shimon, completed your purpose in this world and you've moved on. So you celebrate it. And the second thing is that there were, Rabbi Akiva had 24,000 students. And there was a plague. A plague over one year, over, over a three-month period. Oh, sorry, this period between... Passover and uh, Lag Omer, which is really 33 days, they all died besides five. Actually, wow. one of the five was Yerushim Bar Yochai. And the reason that is, the Talmud talks about why they died is because they didn't love each other. Now, the Rebbe asked this very powerful question. It doesn't make any sense. Do you know who Rabbi Akiva was? Rabbi Akiva love said, love your fellow as yourself. Now, if you are a student of a teacher, and what your teacher stands for more than anything else is love your fellow as yourself, how is it possible 24,000 students Rabbi Akiva, who his great teaching was love your fellow as yourself, are dying because they don't love each other? There's something wrong here. They so, have knowledge, but not the... So the, the Rabbi says that the problem was that they loved each other too much. That they loved each other so much that there was 24,000 different ways of explaining Rabbi Akiva's teachings. Mm-hmm. And each one saw it differently. And each one felt that the others need to learn just like him. Mm-hmm. And they, they would fight with each other to, to, over their knowledge of the way they interpreted their teacher's teachings. So I love you so much that I'm going to smother you with my interpretation. Mm-hmm. And as a result, that turned into hate. The love turned into hate. Mm-hmm. Or it's also, by the way, self-love. I love it myself was, so right, much. That's right. But everybody's got to learn it my way. Right. And then what does that lead to? Chaos. And that, I think that this, this day, as we finish the, 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 the we, we commemorate the plague that killed 24,000 students minus five of Rabbi Akiva, we mm-hmm. commemorate the celebration of Lagba Omer, of celebrating Rabbi Shum's purpose in this world, I think it's a great opportunity to think about what is true love and what is, mm-hmm. what is the right love and what is the wrong love mm-hmm. and how that... Uh, how that affects our lives and how that affects our relationships and how it affects our understanding in this world and how we relate to others in this world and how we debate and how we experience pain and suffering. Amazing. Thank you so much, Rabbi. That was, that was really awesome. Let, let me ask you, how old was Rabbi Akiva when he converted to Judaism? He didn't convert. His parents were converted. He, no, his parents were, were, were converted. He was a shepherd. Remember, there was a big division in those days between the learned and the unlearned. He was an unlearned person. And at 40 years old, he was a shepherd. And the the way that Talmud describes it is that he would go by a well and he saw there was a drip. The well was dripping. It was leaking. And the well was leaking onto a stone, a huge stone. And he watched over the course of a period of time that the drip was creating an indent in the stone. And so he said, if a drip of water can create an indent in such a dense stone, then the Torah can indent my dense mind. And he decided at 40 to start learning. He started from Aleph. He didn't know anything. 
and very shortly afterwards, he became one of the greatest teachers. Wow. And, and, and one of the so greatest he's Talmudists. he's not a convert? No. He's just an unlearned, just an unlearned Yeah, unlearned. Interesting. But you're saying his parents were converted. Is that... Is that... I'm pretty sure, yeah. And he also did all of this uh, pretty quickly. Yeah. He got into it. He was an intense guy. When he got into it, he got into it. He had no time to waste. No time to waste. He was 40 back then. Yeah, that's right. Life expectancy exactly. wasn't 100, you know? That's right. That's right. 40, it's like almost like, okay, what's the final chapter of your life? Yeah, 40 was uh, near death. Yeah. Thank you, Rabbi. You're so welcome much. very much. To be continued yeah. next week. Yes. Hi, Rabbi Bernath here. I have some great news for you. My popular four-week course, Kabbalah for Everyone, is available right now for free for the next 50 people who download it. All you have to do is go to www.theloverabbi.com, scroll to the bottom of the page, and you're going to see the download button right there. In this course, I talk about the Kabbalistic secrets to relationships, to wealth, to happiness, and balance. This special offer has been dedicated in loving memory of Ellie Dorfman. I look forward to hearing from you and hope you enjoy the course. Now on to today's episode.